0: Side of this world. we must guard against the military industrial complex. UFOs, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events. From somewhere in the desert, between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents very. Tales. Because the truth will set you free.
1: July 8th, 1947, the Army Air Force has announced that a flying disc has been found
0: and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. Shall I tell you what I find beautiful about you? Very fast when critics are worse. Sooner you know or later though, you always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com because you can handle the truth. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, please make yourself at home. I want to thank you, Veritas member, for making this program possible. Tonight's special guest is Neil Kramer, a Veritas veteran who never disappoints and always brings something new to share. This time, we'll discuss his new book, The Unfoldment, The Organic Path to Clarity, Power, and Transformation. Neil Kramer will be with us shortly. To listen to the full interview, you know what to do. It's very simple. And this way, you can keep us on the air without commercial interruptions or censorship. Go to veritasradio.com and click on the subscribe button. You'll receive your login immediately and we'll be able to download this show and anything else we have to offer. You also have access to watch everything we have on Veritas TV and you also get exclusive pass to our very special Manticore Forum where we discuss the rest of what we can discuss here. Stop waiting. Subscribe today. And don't forget, visit our Veritas store where you can buy MMS. You never know when you'll need it. And if downloading our shows takes a lot of time where you live, purchase any of our USB drives with every season of our show. And to get in touch with me, click on the contact button of our website, VeritasRadio.com. And now, get ready for tools and ideas to help clear a path for personal empowerment and the deeper meaning behind our everyday lives. A blend of cutting edge spiritual insight and deep wisdom will give you hope in humanity again. Are you ready to have some of your beliefs and expectations challenged? Are you ready to feel more confident about yourself and excited about the wonder of our adventure here on Earth? The unfoldment brings a perfectly timed message of spiritual wisdom that embraces growth, claims power, and unswervingly champions the sacred adventure of the human journey. For this and much more, Neil Kramer is coming up next. This is Mel Vambergas, and you're listening to Veritas. brooks agnew and you're
1: listening to veritas
0: neil kramer is a writer philosopher and teacher specializing in the fields of consciousness metaphysics shamanism and ancient mystical disciplines he has made a lifelong study of philosophy indigenous wisdom traditions inner alchemy occultism and esoteric world history Kramer shares his path of transformation in writings and interviews and travels the world giving seminars, workshops, and teachings. He has spoken at numerous international conferences on the nature of human consciousness and is a frequent guest on popular media networks. Kramer is a renowned figure in the consciousness and alternative communities, recognized for his message of empowerment, lucidity, and spiritual insight. He lives in Oregon. Find him at neilkramer.com. And I'm delighted once again to have my friend back again to Veritas. And I'm referring to Neil Kramer directly from Massachusetts. Hello, Neil. Welcome back. How are you?
1: Hey, Mel. I'm very well. Thank you for having me here.
0: It's my pleasure to have you back again. Every time I have you on, I get more and more email from people because they can't get enough from you. So I have the book right here, The Unfoldment, that just just came out. And I have to ask you first. I've read a lot about you. I've, re- I've listened to a lot of your interviews. And I always wonder, why hasn't he written a book? Why did it take so long for you to write a book?
1: <laughs> um, I think because of the immediacy of the internet, I think anybody who writes has uh, acknowledged that because of things like Blogger and WordPress and sites like that, you can publish yourself straight away. And you can reach uh, a wider audience than most, you know, independent smaller publishers who'd usually deal with the kind of material that we talk about would ever reach. So I thought, well, that that is a, a great thing. So really, from 2005 onwards, now uh, when I started with the Cleaver, I decided to put things in a digital format, and then as time progressed, that became an audio book, some of it. And I think, really, as more and more people have listened um, to my words, read my words, listened to my voice, etc., it's become just time, basically, to do uh, old-school format book. (laughs) So, um, you know, the publisher had felt that I had uh, something very prescient and relevant to say. Um, And to some extent, It's an experiment as well in that we tend to forget when we just speak to each other in this alternative community, if you like, that there are millions and millions of brilliant people out there, tremendous human beings who don't know anything about this lot and need um, something that kind of has one foot in the mainstream and one foot into, shall we say, the esoteric. And I have no problem at all with that. So to some extent, what I've done with this book is experimental in that I'm writing the book for those who are comfortable with alternative themes, with the esoteric, with the unusual, with the paranormal, with the spiritual, all that kind of stuff. Those people are going to enjoy this book, no question about it. But I also want to speak to people who don't know any of the lingo, who don't visit sites like yours, who don't listen to podcasts, but who are interested in in doing things a different way. So um the publisher, Career Press, New Page Books, they do put out stuff um like Eric von Daniken is one of their other authors, for example, you know, a very well known name. Um, but they also reach mainstream audiences as well. So people who might read something like The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle would come across this other book by this guy Neil Kramer called The Unfoldment and that kind of brings me a lot of pleasure to think that you know there's now um, a possibility that that'll happen on a nice scale where lots of people will be reached and yeah it's nice to sell books and stuff but pretty much everyone you'll ever meet in this field is not really in it for the money so to speak because we'd be doing something very different (laughs) if that's what we were doing be writing sexy violent novels you know that people like to read if you were doing it purely as a money-making exercise But I do feel there is an increasing number of people in the mainstream who are fed up with it and want to do something different and want to go into these areas. And so you have to have people who are happy to come to uh, the gates, shall we say, and welcome them in and say, yeah, this is okay. We're not going to be snobby about our stuff. We're not going to be exclusive or elitist about it. Everybody is welcome. Everybody is welcome here. And just because you've been conditioned does not preclude you from having a right to share in this knowledge.
0: And you're right, as it relates to to these kinds of books out. I recently interviewed uh, Regina Meredith, whom you know also.
1: Yes, I do indeed, yeah.
0: And we discussed how she was part of the mainstream media. She felt like she was an agent of bad news. Because, as you know, the mainstream media, if it bleeds, it leads and if anybody wants to talk about anything that's enlightening positive, something that's going to make you happy, it seems that the money doesn't go there. Even with movies, you hardly see a good movie that deals with an enlightened, enlightened man with, with a positive messages, etc. And, and the one thing, after I started, I want to ask you why the, the name of the unfoldment in a minute, but the one thing that that, that touched me was the fact that Me, for example, growing up a Catholic. And once again, folks, I'm not attacking religion, but uh, I always felt that worshiping was disempowering. I felt like I was giving my power to somebody else. And it's not only religion. It could be in sports. It could be in politics. It could be even the mainstream media. We seem to give our power to somebody else. And in this book, you, you empower us back. Tell me more about this
1: one of the central premises of the book is that human beings are massively powerful and absolutely independent authorities in the universe and nobody has the right to tell anybody what to do essentially Um that power of course has been eroded over a long period of time and this is my attempt and this is really what most books of this nature do to say well this is what I did folks this is what I've found These are some ways of thinking about things that have been beneficial to me. Um, And that's all it is. It's my journey, essentially. However, it's written in such a way that you cannot help but notice when you have realizations and deep perceptions in your life that some of them aren't yours. They're not your perceptions as such. They're not your slices of wisdom. They're something very old. And when you get to something that's true, you have this sensation of ancientness about it and you realize it's a universal truth so when you do that repeatedly it, um, it becomes obvious that part of the journey although of course the uniqueness is yours and the discovery element of it is yours but the truths that you come upon are something very universal, something very shared and I think that now is an important time to remind ourselves of some of these truths and to sort of um you know disinfect ourselves from some of the very very false thinking that the mainstream world puts upon us and sometimes it does it very consciously obviously conspiracy people know that but it also does it unconsciously as well almost absent mindedly it misleads people and so there's a very full treatment of that in this book to say You have to look at the shadow, you have to look at the light, you have to accept there is destruction, and you have to accept there is creation, and those things to some degree are necessary, but when you take this very whole view, uh, it returns power back to the individual, and I think that's a word we should reclaim as well, because it's kind of become a bit of a cuss word, a dirty word, power, and I think it's time to kind of not only take power back, but all the language as well, like power warrior command you'll see these words in my verbal delivery but also in of course in the book and I think that's appropriate as well this isn't a time to sort of roll over or run around in circles like schoolgirls this is a time to kind of stand right at the center of your own core and go to that place and as you do that inner work you realize that this process of power of reclaiming power and channeling power and becoming comfortable with power. There is a mundane level of it, of course, which is like kind of self helpy and a bit new-agey, might sound to some people, you know, reclaim your power, achieve your potential, self-actualize. There is a practical level of that, but there's also at the same time, more significantly in a way, a very much more magical level, which is when you start to do those things, and you become a more natural human being I would say you become connected to the universe and when you do that the whole inertia and the whole momentum of the universe is behind you so every time you act every time you love every time you go into any form of combat anytime you go into any form of art then you have this tremendous Energy infused into it because you're not acting alone anymore. You're acting as an agent of the divine of the universe So it does have a magical element rather like you might say just a very pop culture reference here When a young Jedi learns of this thing called the force suddenly all their actions become amplified and they bend the physics And there is an element of that in the unfoldment. There's no question about it. This wizardry is all about connection. And that's what the book aims to do, which is put people in a position where they are independent, sovereign human beings. And they are men and women of compassion and humor and love and um, growth. But they're also these magical beings, which I think is a very unfashionable thing to say in the mainstream, of course, unless it's fiction but I'm talking about the real thing. So anyone who has the vaguest interest in that is going to enjoy reading this book.
0: And one word that always comes to mind is uh, becoming sovereign. Even in the United States, that word word seems to be demonized lately. Anybody who uses the word sovereign all of a sudden is almost as a terrorist. You probably have seen it in the news. Anybody who claims to be a sovereign citizen of a state, for example, there, There's somebody, it, it's, a, it's a domestic terror. Why is it that the powers that want to be want to take that word out of the vernacular because it takes the power away from them and brings it back to us? Is that why?
1: It It basically puts people in a situation where they commit a self-deception, which is they consider themselves as subjects to some external agency, some external authority. Mm-hmm. If you're European, you tend to feel, without thinking about it, and if you never do your own work on this, you tend to feel that you are indeed a subject of various kings and queens, uh, governments, obviously, more lately. And if you're American, you tend to feel you are a subject of your government, a citizen of your nation, a patriot indebted to your nation, right? And all this is extremely unhealthy thinking extremely ridiculous and very very unnecessary and there is a chapter in the book specifically that deals with this whole question and the idea is put forth by Republicans and Democrats is that when you get sovereign people who claim their own authority and say don't tell me what to do I'm gonna do what I wanna do they like to associate that with anarchy Right, and they bind the two together. Sovereign people are anarchists running around in the street like naughty boys and girls, throwing burning barrels through glass windows. You know, you see it with with black things tied around the faces, or um, you know those smiley mask things on, etc. And this is, of course, uh, just just pathetic rubbish. But it infects the mainstream to such a degree that people become scared of using that word sovereign Um, and what essentially I suggest is that a funny thing happens which is very um, contrasting to the mainstream suggestion that sovereignty is bad and infers poor behavior quite the reverse I say when you accept your sovereignty you also accept total responsibility for your actions and your deeds, your thoughts, your feelings everything right so you become like the man who becomes a father for the first time, you realize you've you've created a situation where you now have a responsibility, a lifelong responsibility, and goodness knows you know what that feels like, right yeah, right and when you totally accept that, it actually becomes easier in a way, and when you totally accept your ownership of your own deeds, then actually your conduct improves. You become more considerate human being and your what looks like morality and ethics, which I feel absolutely unnecessary, but what looks like morality and ethics goes up, i.e. you treat people well, you treat yourself well. You are naturally well mannered, polite, solid, right? You're a solid guy. And that's what happens when you become a sovereign being. Actually, your conduct goes so high that you begin to call into question those who we have apparently chosen to represent us in britain and america and europe and our own conduct comes to a level of integrity an authentic bearing not just in what we say but also in how we actually think privately on our own and how we feel and how we share that where we exceed the morality of people like David Cameron and Mitt Romney and Barack Obama and so on, we exceed their conduct and make them look sloppy and very insincere. So actually becoming a sovereign being is a very radical thing to do, spiritually and physically. And so it's a very scary thing for a government not only to have unruly subjects, but also to have superior subjects to them.
0: I agree totally. And the Unfoldment, the title of the book, what is The Unfoldment?
1: The Unfoldment is a process. It is a very profound realization that your presence in the universe is significant. That's what The Unfoldment is. It is also, you might say, a way of doing things. It's, it's a, a noun and it's a verb. Um. It is awakening to some, it is moments of satori or kensho, enlightenment for others. And it is, as I said recently to somebody, it is something that re enchants this world with meaning and with magic. And it puts us in a position where we actually get to achieve the things that we want to achieve. Not just having a nice house and nice things and some sort of security and comfort because those things are not very important as it happens the things we really want to achieve are fulfillment and understanding and love and creativity and that happens again on the practical domestic level where you live a more fulfilling and wholesome life which can still involve all kinds of crazy times and you know I'm sure you, like anyone else, see those things and know that it's part of natural human engagement with life to celebrate some aspects of life. But it also, again, is overlaid with this higher dimensional um, unfoldment, which places the third density human being right on the edge of what I would say the fourth density, i.e. a higher state of being, a more magical state of being, where... The physics starts to change, as we might say. The physics seems such a fancy, posh way of describing something that's very, very fluid and very, very flexible. And so the guidelines of what happens in the 3D naturally, of course, begin to shift when you shift out of the 3D. So what is magic? Magic is Shifting yourself out of the 3D into a 4D space, shall we say, a 4D realm, a 4D way of doing things. And when you do that, you begin to move yourself out of the rule set of the 3D. So rather like a human being looks rather godlike if they're playing a Nintendo game or a PlayStation game, you are absolutely godlike. You're in another dimension, aren't you, when you're playing these games? particularly these like, first-person shooter-type games that are very popular, mm-hmm. you're in another dimension. You have total godlike power over the avatar that you control in the game. If you zoom out a level and think that for the 3D to the 2D, so it is for the 4D to the 3D, then our higher self, of which there are many, but the one we're talking about right now is the 4D self, has total dominion over the 3D total dominion, it can do anything, jump from point to point it can manifest, it can vanish disappear, dematerialize, whatever, it can do all those magical things that we might associate with the Gandalfs of literature etc and that becomes a reality when you engage in the unfoldment and there are many instances of that, there are many occurrences privately publicly of that, that some of which are shared in the book some of which I go into in other further detail in workshops and so on. So it's a process and it's a realization.
0: And another aspect that I like about reading books like yours is when the author puts some of the stories they went through in life, especially if I feel identified with them. For example, you know, growing up, I had questions about extraterrestrial life, and I had questions about the origins of humankind and all that. And, of course, coming from a very conservative family, I was told, look, go to school, follow what the teachers tell you, and you'll be fine. You go to college, you get a job at a bank or or something alike, and and you'll be fine. And I did exactly that. But then, now I realize, and I'm going to read a, a a little paragraph here from you. You said, I realized that laboring inside the heart of the machine was affording me intimate knowledge of a world that I was beginning to actively deconstruct. In other words, you more or less took a similar path in a way where you had to go and and work for the corporate world for some time. But now you realize that that gave you more power because now you can actively deconstruct and disseminate the message just like I am.
1: Yeah, that's true. And when I was a, a young man, I used to read things from various authors and artists and philosophers. And occasionally, I would sit back and knowing that this guy was from perhaps a wealthy family who was reading about and had an allowance or an endowment of some sort, which meant he didn't have to do a job. Now and again, I would sit back and think, well, what the hell do you know? What do you know what it's like to have to get up every morning and do a nine or ten hour day? Repeatedly and have two or three or four weeks, if you're lucky, off you. What do you know? And I think it's very important that if you are going to talk about why capitalism, socialism, communism, fascism, why all those things are fake and why they're not necessary and why they don't work and why there are other ways of doing things, if you're going to make such bold proclamations, where people are always going to scoff at those things. You have to understand what it's like. You have to be able to appreciate what it actually means for people who have to do those things. And I know this from conversation with yourself that you also know that, and I think you've shared that with your listeners, I imagine. Um, Me too. I've been right in the heart of it and just reaching points now and again where you think, I don't know how longer – I can actually do, I don't physically think I can do this much longer because I'm going to go nuts, to put it very politely. And in that situation, which a lot of people find themselves in, you come to a crossroads when you get that that far and when you become that desperate, you either just go out and drink and booze and throw yourself around and sleep with different people and go a bit kind of Charlie Sheen, shall we say, (laughs) (laughs) or you become religious and you become a devout Catholic or Christian or something, or you go and join a cult or you go football crazy or basketball crazy or something. You, You choose something to divert your attention from your inner core, from your center, from your truth, right? Because it's so painful to admit that what you're doing is untrue is actually unfaithful to your own destiny that it's almost unapproachable it's like a very very difficult conversation you have to have with somebody you know would sometimes rather not do it and do anything not to have that conversation so you know you'd linger in the, the you know reading the newspaper or go and get a coffee down the road anything not to do what you know you need to do and this affliction is very widespread and I noticed as I discuss in the book that Whenever I went into the workplace, and my job involved kind of, I don't know, 30-40% of the time being in the office in the sort of Manchester region in England, and the rest of the time, 60% of the time, being out and about in London and Birmingham, Manchester, Bristol, Cardiff, whatever, visiting customers, clients, talking, going to meetings and so on. And... Throughout that very, very mundane and trying episode of my life, I kept a bit of my conscious radar on all the time. And it was noting what was going on. And it was, if you like, recording consciously what people were saying. And without exception, really, if you get anybody into the right state of mind, you don't even have to prompt them verbally. They will acknowledge that they, too, are sick of doing what they do. And it's a very familiar joke, of course, and whole sitcoms are built around the joke that we do things we don't want to do because we don't know what else to do. And so there are very practical issues about that in the unfoldment. And I think you're right. I think it's, it's very nice to abstract and be metaphysical and theorize. And we, we like to listen to people do that. I do. And anyone who knows me knows that I too do that. But I also have recognized the importance that knowledge is kind of pointless without application. And I think we all know that. But particularly in this field, you have to apply the knowledge. I don't care what the UFOs and the Mayans and the demons and the sacred texts and the mystical things and the free energy devices. I need to see application of that right now, today, in my life. And I need to understand the application of it. In my life. And I think everybody secretly feels the same way. So I have tr- sort of tried my level best to say, right, people, there's some very, very far out stuff in this book. But let me tell you how closely you can map that into the very, very experiential details of our day to day life watching television, being in the kitchen, driving the car, getting groceries, having arguments with your wife, whatever. All those things. If you can't bring in the philosophy and the spiritual truth into those experiences, then it has no value. So I do that throughout the book and show points in time where, of course, there are these little anecdotes of mine. But I know damn well that other people will think, I know what he's talking about because the same kind of things happen to me. And in those moments, you create a connection with each other where you just think, yeah, I totally, totally know what you mean when you talk like that. I feel that very deeply, and it's very poignant sometimes to see somebody else articulate something that's very personal to you that has hitherto been very unarticulated and a very private thought and a very personal reflection, but very powerful. And when you read someone else explain that exactly, it creates a connection and we connect to each other when we do that. And you're
0: absolutely right. And you have no idea of how many messages I receive from people who feel identified because they see that, in my case, for example, come from the business world. So I understand many people who listen to, to us, they, they have th- their jobs and they can't get out of that because, as you say, they just don't know what else to do and they have to support a family. But at least they don't feel alone they can listen and say, "Wait a minute! There's people out there who have been able to do this, so maybe I can I can continue following you know that path, and perhaps I'd be able to 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 jump out of this, you know, so-called matrix. You know, the work, rest, eat, sleep, repeat the same cycle again. So if that's the case, and most people have to go through this in life, how can they create lives of uh, that are authentic, that are that are fulfilling?
1: Well, it's like anything. You can be in a prisoner of war camp or you can be in jail or you can be down a coal mine in a very challenging and restricted scenario and in a situation where you don't seem to have a lot of control over your environment. And of course, you can still act with very high integrity and a lot of authenticity. So you can bring that into anywhere and anything. You don't have to be this lone mystic wandering about having these indiana jones adventures that's not what we're talking about in fact in a way the more you hold in terms of the energy patterns you identify with other people your friends family wives husbands children brothers sisters etc um, that requires a very high degree of authenticity and it requires a very very close and true mapping of your consciousness to be able to do that be a good father, be a conscious man, be a good husband, be a brilliant friend, be a good businessman. All those things at the same time. So if we find ourselves with a lot of, quote, responsibilities, there's a a, a really good reason for that. And it's a reason, like we talk about being in the business world, where it is appropriate for your life path that you understand what it's like to be in that situation because millions of other people are and you're gonna to some degree be given the job of the like anthropologist to go in and be that person be that area of humanity that you're studying and talking and thinking about and you have to because you actually are doing it one is actually doing it so some people find themselves with a lot of freedom a lot of time a lot of resources other people find themselves with very few But whatever your situation is, you are being given an intimate portrait to examine. And it's right there in front of you. It's right there in front of you. You can smell it every single day. And it's not something to escape from. It's something to absolutely participate in, to be very, very engaged with, and to do the very, very best you can with it. And accept it as a situation that you yourself have created wherever you are is exactly where you need to be exactly where you need to be don't ever doubt that even though you know you have another trajectory possibility that you can do some other things as well don't ignore what's occurring right there and then somebody once said life is what happens between us doing one thing and another that's right (laughs) so we think we're gonna speak at a conference in June and we need to um, do something two weeks before and that's how we consider that month but really it's the time in between when we're not paying attention where the most important things happen so you begin to treat life as this instrument for transformation and you realize that the tools for your own awakening which is a lifelong process are right there in front of you it's your daughter, it's your mother, it's your boss, it's your annoying work colleagues It's the food you eat, it's the guy down the street, it's your community, it's the developers who want to build houses on the spare land in your community, it's local politics. None of that is irrelevant. It's all a very direct representation of something relevant for your study as a human being.
0: Absolutely. I think that we all have to be social anthropologists at some point and, and not even realize it. But uh, the words from John Lennon, life is what happens when you're busy making plans. You know, a lot of people say to me, you know, how do how do you see life? Is it a destination? You know, happiness or, or what have you? And what I tell them is, it's almost like being in a bus or in a plane, looking over the planet and looking at the beautiful parts and the not so beautiful parts. It's not a destination. It's a journey. And if we turn the the, the blinders down and and we can't see outside, then that's the life you're going to live. It is up to you to open those blinders and look at what's happening around you for good or for bad. But that's the way to live, don't you think?
1: Yes, I do. I think it's important to be able to witness and I think it's important to be able to become involved. And as I was saying to a lady yesterday, um, when we realize that life is play to some extent there is a heavy play element to the universe like if we go to see a concert of our favorite heavy metal band for example <laughs> mm-hmm. or we go to see uh you know a piano sonata or we go to see mozart symphony what what is that is that does not doesn't mean anything does it there's no product there's nothing there What's it all about? What does that mean? It's play. It's art. It's, it's just play, right? And I would say that if you consider, from a very zoomed-out point of view, not being your little self for the moment, but being this vast, zoomed-out intelligence, if you look at life and all the galaxies sprouting out all over the universe, it's rather like a symphony. It's rather like play. And there's a lot of color and texture and chaos and madness and wonderfulness all wrapped up and intermingled together. And it is a form of play. And when you start to see it in that way, it changes your perspective on some things. And it changes your perspective on becoming involved. Because a lot of people, and we all do this from time to time, are scared to become involved. And In a way, they'd rather not be involved, but it is somehow nice for them anyway. So they sit back and think, it would be nice if this was good, and it would be nice if the outside, in quotes, is a happy, harmonious, creative, wonderful place. That would be nice. But I don't want to be that involved. A lot of people think like that, and as I say, we all do it from time to time, some more than others. When you consider... That the whole of the universe, this goes back to Hindu philosophy, is this dance of energy in a way. And many philosophers, modern and ancient, have spoken of this. And I'm just another person parroting this to some extent. When you consider that the universe is play, it changes your attitude to becoming involved. Because there's no reason not to. You can begin to um, amplify your experience, you can begin to go deeper into life and say, well, if this is play, then what the hell? I might as well get thoroughly entangled in it, thoroughly involved, because I can improve it through my involvement. And by perceiving it as a participatory uh, situation, you give yourself permission to change it. And you realize that you, in fact, you do change it. Your consciousness, as you move through the environment, is like any other kind of waveform, like a radio or microwave, ultraviolet waves on the ocean, in that it doesn't have very distinct boundaries. It overlaps and it interpenetrates through many things. This is what consciousness operates like in one way of looking at it. As we move with our consciousness through life, the more we become involved, the more we change it. And I think that, again, is a very powerful message in the book, which is become involved and become involved in a true way, not wandering through the streets, holding up banners saying stop war. That is pointless. That doesn't achieve anything. You have to do it in a true way, which begins with getting your own house in order, cleaning your own mental sphere and getting that sharp and strong and then going out and examining the relationship between what seems to be inside and what seems to be outside. And one begins to discover that there isn't indeed a clear boundary between those two either. We're not just people in the world. We are also products of the world. We're, we're the flowers of the world, with are the um, fruits of the world. So it grows us and we grow it. And the dance is the interface between the two. So there's no distinct separation between... Mal Fabregas, Neil Kramer, and the world they live in—they're one entity flowing together. So as you change yourself, you change the world, and that is a central message in the book.
0: You know that that what you just said right now. I'm always thinking that planet Earth, full of people, our human bodies, full of cells. Our cells have to work together. If they work separately the body eventually dies. So when I see languages, when I see religions, when I see different ideologies all over the place, it's almost as if it's part of the programming to keep us separate. What was supposed to bring you pleasure does not. What was supposed to scare you does not. To those people who, are, who live, let's say, outside the matrix, why the division and how can we hack that programming that continues to keep us separate?
1: There's two ways of looking at that. One way is to say that we are taught incorrectly what the world is, that it's this big platform with trees and rocks and buildings and cars, and we're on it, and you have to essentially arrange the objects in a pleasing manner for the best possible effect. And from little children to young adults to mature adults, that's what we're told every single day. Here's this thing. Arrange the bits and pieces on it to have a very lovely time. That's the world. There's also some molecules and atoms or something, and don't worry about that. The scientists worry about the little bits and pieces that go to make these things up. And there's also this stuff far out in the blackness of the void that wibbles around, and that's not really relevant. It's what's here right now. That's, that's it. Th- this is an erroneous view. And very quickly, anybody who goes on their own path of truth, you discover through spirituality, religion, mysticism science whichever your preferred flavor is of truth you discover that that is a false way of looking at the world or if you want to be a little more polite a very fundamental naive way of looking at the world understandable in a way but it's something that we would perhaps expect to see as a four-year-old and then completely revolutionize as a seven-year-old the problem is we're still walking around a lot of us with this four-year-old's perspective so that that has to change you have to understand that the world doesn't at all work like that in any way shape or form as you say about cells in the body it's also about free will if a cell in our body decides to take it upon itself to say well this is great being in this body let's say it's a cell in Mel's kneecap right and it's like this is great this is a great organism I enjoy being part of this but I don't want to be involved I'll just enjoy all the benefits and privileges of being in this organism but I don't want to do anything I don't want to be involved and in fact in doing that you begin to detach yourself from the system from the whole organism you begin to disenfranchise yourself from all the other cells that are attempting to do something wonderful so you cannot sit in the world and be in the the belly of the world and decide just to be here and just like um, a kind of uh, insane Taoist just to sit there and do nothing and with a smile on your face on a park bench. You can't really do that. That's part of a process. Now I say that respectfully because I did that very thing this morning I sat on a park bench in the sunshine with a smile on my face. That isn't a way I'd like to live. That isn't a way I'd like to spend all my time. It would be terribly boring and uninteresting and unfulfilling. I also want to be covered in paint. I also want to be breathless running down the mountain. I also want to be speaking to conscious, brilliant people. I also want to shut my mouth and listen to other people teach me some cool stuff I want to do all those things. Human beings are these kind of full-spectrum warriors in a very spiritual sense, in that you don't just really come here to specialise in one thing. You have to, to be a full, natural human being, become adept in many things. You have to be able to have an element of yourself that is reason-based, that is discursive in its thinking, and another element of yourself that is artistic and playful and musical in its way of being. And you have to integrate these two things together. And I think when you do that, you attain a much more realistic view of the world and you realize that from a molecular level, although there aren't truly any molecules or atoms at all, they are theoretical ways of thinking about energy. But when you look at it, On the little scale, shall we say, or the big scale, you realize that the whole thing is kind of a conjuration, really. It's a way of doing things. It's one way of doing things. And as the physicist Thomas Campbell uh, said recently, as he and I talked together, there's an interview on my site if anybody wants to check that out, to a very real level, the world is indeed a matrix Um, a good one, a neutral one, and a bad one. They're all there together, all overlapped and interpenetrating each other. But whichever way you look at it, it's a conjuration. It's it's Firefox or Internet Explorer interpreting HTML code as pictures and graphics and JPEGs. It's all a fallacy. It's all a fabrication to have some sort of default position for infant consciousness to actually be able to just be here without falling into complete oblivion so it's the default setting right and it's perfectly natural the default setting in 3d earth the problem is there's always a few people who are trying to spoil it and gain control over the others and they're doing quite well at the moment those guys there's always a lot of people who are very lazy and don't really want to do anything just wanna sit back and watch it all go past and the problem as we might say at the moment in contemporary culture is that it's very self-indulgent it's very self-gratifying culture it's a very insanely self-possessing culture in a in a negative way one might say and being involved is not encouraged outside of the mainstream idea of what it means to be involved in the world so you're not encouraged after the age let's say of 25 to learn anything new is absolutely not necessary. So if you want to gain an idea of what the world is really like and what you can do and what you are and where you come from you have to commit yourself to be a lifelong learner as people might say in the education system. That's that's what we do. If you've kind of not learned anything significant recently, change that right now and start to study significant relevant things for your life. We, are, we have to be lifelong learners because knowledge is the first step to obtaining this central position of power for yourself. It's the first step. It's not all about knowledge. Knowledge doesn't give diddly on its own. You have to apply it. You have to turn it into wisdom. You have to... Relate it to the divine in a way, or to the source or to the original emanation, to the natural manifestation of life. You have to be able to do that. But knowledge is very important for that. It greases the wheels to make that all happen. So we have to familiarize ourselves with knowledge and become very comfortable with it and realize that at root, it's not just intelligent people who become um very capable with knowledge. It's all human beings are very capable with knowledge. Becoming unintelligent is a choice. It's a very, very lazy choice. So people who think, well, I'm not very clever. As long as you've got all your physical faculties and there's no excuse for you not to be, unintelligence is a choice. Intelligence is a choice and it's where you choose to throw your conscious bandwidth. And intelligence is, is important. You need intelligence to be this spiritual ascendant warrior. You need it. You can't really do it just by being a nice person. That's not enough. That's very basic. So I'll round that off because I've included other things in your question, but it means becoming very much a renaissance man, a renaissance woman in the extent that you can... Become very, very familiar with a lot of art forms, a lot of techniques, a lot of disciplines. And not worry about the fact that something is new to you and is alien to you. You have to understand that human beings are built for engaging with information in a very, very exquisite way. And to absorb that is only part of the picture. We also have to output our own piece of that as well to be full human beings. But all of this is so extra, it's so distinct, is so separated from the mainstream that every now and again somebody has to just step back, take stock of it and say, I think we're doing this wrong. There's a completely different way of doing this. And if nothing else, this book, The Unfoldment, is me taking as many steps back as I can without falling off a cliff and then saying, this is another way of looking at it. And I think I think it's a better one. And you may or may not, but you'll get the gist of what I was doing and you can go and do it for yourself if you so wish.
0: There's an aspect of the book uh, that you call social window dressing. But before I discuss this, I recently came, uh, came across a quote from a gentleman with the name of Jonathan Davis, and I really like it. It says, you laugh at me because I'm different. I laugh at you because you're all the same. In this social window dressing story you talk about going to a posh dinner party in the city i'd like you to recount that story if you could
1: Yes it was really a time in life where you're a young man or woman you go you go in in the business world you're doing okay you you've got some good energy going on you're doing some you know good stuff and if you're in the business world you realize that there's a very important overlap between business and social which for people like us is always a very disturbing thing because if you put your hand on your heart you have to look at these people and think you you guys are dicks really actually and i don't i can't i can pretend to be like you and i can yes i can talk about football and you know, yachts or wine or beer or women's bottoms or whatever it might be for that particular style of person and company. But it's there's an overlap. So in this particular case I go to this thing, get there early, there's a bar, I'm sat at the bar, this lady's talking to me, Oh, you're a you know nice. So you know these people, yeah, I know these people and what do you do? I do this and oh I live here, yeah. Oh, and such and such, oh, there's some lovely cars, yeah. I've just bought a new car, oh, what did you get? I got such and oh that's lovely, yeah, brilliant. And we have this conversation and we're talking about food, we're talking about travel around Europe, talking about various posh places, Um, and I'm kind of talking to her in the way that I know she wants to have discourse, not to impress her, but just to kind of appease her really, just to say, look, I'll say all this stuff, and then I'm going to take my drink and go over here. But it was so disturbing to me, this thing, and I could see the whole night unfold of this terrible pretentious conversation and people talking about what they've got and what they've achieved and it was a very horrifying moment because it that was one of the pivotal moments for me where I realized that I can't do this anymore and so so yes I put my drink back down on the bar and just made my excuse and said oh you know I'll just go and get my cell phone excuse me for a moment left walked out of these doors And just got in the car and left and just never, ever, ever did anything like that ever again and kind of made a promise to myself that I would not engage in inauthentic social situations where I put myself in an insincere state for anybody or anything, for me mostly, but not for anyone else either. And I thought, well, that's going to create problems. That's going to curtail your little business world. Yeah, That's going to upset a few friends and relatives. And I just thought, well, so be it, because I am going to do something differently. I'm going to do it where when I have a social gathering, it's a pure joy, and it's with people I love and with friends, men, women, young and old, who stimulate me and who we share brilliance with in each other. And so that moment, you know, I go home and think, oh my gosh, you know, what's wrong with me, very quickly turns into a gift, really, which is kind of the thing with most guys in particular, most midlife crisis happen to men, kind of like what's supposed to happen at 50, which is you wonder what the hell you've been doing with your crappy stuff, and you you go out, buy a red sports car, and, you know, have sex with a a 20-year-old girl. That's what most men do when it's a midlife crisis and then you get over it. Everybody falls out with each other then they make friends again and then you just go back to the old pattern. I had my midlife crisis really in my teenager years (laughs) (laughs) and just thought, oh my God, this sucks so badly, this life proposition that has been pushed over the table to me that I cannot imagine how I'm going to extricate myself from this. And it took some time and I'm still doing it to some extent, still creating the kind of life that I want, doing my best in the in the meantime and enjoying it. But I will not do inauthentic things. And by that, I don't mean anything particularly fancy. I literally mean if it's true, I'll be engaged with it. If it's not true, I won't. Now, I won't do that to my own detriment. So if I speed in the car, and the cop takes me to one side and says, you were speeding, you need to give us $60 or whatever, I might, I might go, okay, it's a fair cop, here's your $60, sorry about that, and then off I go. But other than that, where there's total choice, and where it's where I spend my time and what I do, and how I do it, you have to realize that you can, you can absolutely do anything that you want to do, and you can achieve anything and there is a fundamental deceit in the social structure and you have to live that to understand how it can be undone and how it can be unmade you do have to take risks but they're worth it and you don't have to risk your whole well-being and the security of other people you can be smart and preserve that and be clever and cool and um, responsible about that uh, for me personally it was very important to maintain total freedom which meant you know you do not create situations where I create any dependency on myself so for you know let's say 40 years that's the way it was there is no dependency on me because I needed to go very very deeply into the machine and then very very far out to the fringe to all the nutty people on the edge of the campfire, they were wandering about in the shadows and the darkness and the forest. They were having all kinds of funny ideas, which is nothing to do with society. And I want to go and understand that. And I want to be one of those nutty people on the fringe, looking at our social structure and our potential from afar. And then I want to be able to move freely between the two as I wish. So that meant that I personally couldn't have any... Dependence, And that was a always a struggle as well because all the time throughout that first half of life, shall we say, everybody was always trying to foist responsibility, responsibility onto me and say, you should be doing this. You should have this. You should be paying this. You should be paying into this for your future, for example. <laughs> and so all of those things, very practical, very domestic things. So all the time people are trying to say, this is where you should put your money. This is where you should put your effort. This is where you should put your social energy. This is where you should put your emotional energy. And they were really doing it very unconsciously. So you don't have to be horrible to those people or aggressive or seek retribution now. (laughs) There's no need for any of that. They're doing it from a place of total shadow, total unconsciousness where there is no a proper appreciation for the wider aspects of life and that isn't a, a very elitist statement. It's a simple matter of fact and The more conscious you become you cannot help, but see unconsciousness the more truth You come upon you cannot help, but sniff out untruth wherever you see it and so you have to unravel this whole thing Right in front of you right in your own life. That's the test It's not just something you can do at the weekends or do on the screen or the page. You need to do it with your own life. You need to do it, figure out the puzzle of how do you live truthfully? How do you have an authentic existence? That's part of the puzzle. That's part of the labyrinth that you have to walk for yourself and say, well, I can get some clues off other people. I can get some tips off these people who talk about um, their experiences. But it's always going to require the individual, you, to go away and apply that to your particular circumstances. And I think flexibility is very important. So a very, very strongly regimented life is always going to make unfoldment very challenging. Um, So one of the things that I talk about in the book is creating flexibility.
0: You know, I think you're a philosopher like you, you remind me in a in a way, although differently, to Galileo, to Reich, to 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 John Lennon, the system did not allow them to 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 live. Essentially, we all know what happened to Galileo and to Reich, for example, and to Lennon. Oh, great! How how does Noel? I'm not saying that you're <laughs> going to go that route. You have plenty of people protecting you. There's a lot of light coming your way. But how do you swimming against the tide? Because it has happened to me after I basically woke up. And I, I decided, look, this, this whole material world is not where I want to go. I was part of the system. I was part of the material world. Now, to me, a rich person is the one who needs the least, not the one who need, needs the most. What do you tell those people, before we take a break, what do you tell those people that are always swimming against the tide and they're ready to give up and just be part of the system forever?
1: you you can ask yourself one very simple question are you fulfilled and it's a good question to ask yourself every day are you fulfilled and if the answer is ever no to that which it will be on some days in some parts of your life then course correction is necessary you're doing something that is not aligned with your truth It's not wrong, necessarily. I was going to say wrong. It isn't actually wrong. Because if we didn't, obviously, trip over now and again, we'd probably learn very, very slowly. If you are unfulfilled, this is the higher self's way of saying to you, well, you're doing something that isn't aligned with your skill set, with your truth, with your creative aspects, with your philosophical penetration, with your compassion, with your play. As is there a good amount of play in your life? Ask yourself that question. Is play able to become part of your weekly schedule? And if the answer is no to those things, then you can begin to change that. You can begin to do something about it. If you just say, oh, to hell with all that. I'm just going to work hard, have a nice vacation, have a massive television, and goodness knows they're getting bigger and bigger. I was in costco the other day and they had this 80 inch um television which was just very very disturbing to me very very <laughs> disturbing indeed this enormous television and if you wa- if that's if that's going to create a fulfillment for you wonderful i wish you the very very best of luck congratulations but i know absolutely that it doesn't in fact you get these things You get all the toys, you get all the little perks and privileges, super duper stuff all over the place. And you realize almost before you've got out of the box that it isn't doing the trick. It isn't working. It's not what you have, it's what you do. It's not what you do, it's what you are. So the more and more you focus on your being, on what you are, the more fulfilled you will become.
0: And, folks, when we come back, we have to take our one and only intermission. When we come back, I really want to dig deeper. This is just a such a gem. This is a great book, and I recommend it to everybody. If you like what Neil has said on this show and, and, and everything he has written, you have to have this book. Uh, I'd like to, to, to touch into the parts where this book can actually change people's lives and what kind of changes... It, they might make in order to change the course of their lives as it is right now but tell us how to get in touch with your work buy this book and also tell us about your upcoming appearance at the East City Ranch as well
1: sure well it's all very straightforward neilkramer.com you type that in to your URL bar and off you go or just type Neil Kramer into Google and it will come up as the first result of the place to go so neilkramer.com is my website you can go to different places where the book is sold from there all the obvious online big retailers you know who they are also some other kinds of retailers also in the stores there's DVDs, audio books, many essays, many interviews on there so if anything you want to discover further that's the best place to do it from and yes as you say um, I have been invited back to the ESETI branch to speak at the summer conference which is I think the last weekend in June is that right that's right and there's a whole bunch of brilliant people speaking there always always uh, an eclectic interesting mix and it must have been quite good last time for James to invite me back so that's that's good (laughs) so I'll have to do even better this time and make it more interesting more exciting funnier deeper weirder whatever Um, and yes that also, details of that are on the website. You can find out all the details, logistics, tickets, costs. You know all the all the things you need to know to to get yourself there. Well worth it, by the way. Having been to many many conferences and done many events over the years, both in business <laughs> and in the conscious arena, um, it still is one of the very very best ones there is out there. And you, you're almost guaranteed to have a brilliant time. Uh, and meet some amazing people and the quality of people at this event is super high, really super high and um, that in itself is quite a worthwhile experience as well as listening to some people talk about consciousness and spirit and the paranormal and of course about UFOs, the reality of visitations and so on. Very interesting, it's the most credible view you'll ever get on it And as I said to the audience at the New Living Expo in San Francisco just recently, if you want to see a UFO, (laughs) go to eSETI, period. That's all I'm going to say about that.
0: And I have to tell you, for you to be able to... to, Make better the presentations on the workshops you did last year. I'm looking forward to that because I know it's going to be tough. They were absolutely incredible. But I have to say something about Iseti. We discussed uh, with Neil the social window dressing, how you have to pretend uh, when you go to a social gathering. The one place in this entire world where I felt that it was exactly the opposite was the first time I went to Iseti and the second time. Of course, we always we don't know the people, so of course you go with your guard up, but you go there immediately. Your guard is down. And there are people from all walks of life. You have scientists, you have attorneys, you have doctors, you have people from all over the world. And they are all for the same reason. Nobody's pretending. Everybody's being themselves. We enjoy the conferences. And then at night, we gather around and we start experiencing what uh, most people want to experience too, UFOs. And in my second time, I saw more than a dozen. So I hope that a lot of you can make it this year. Neil, when we come back, we're going to be discussing a lot. And you're also going to be telling us some of the secrets, secret teachings that you can tell us about. So folks, don't go anywhere. I'm here with Neil Kramer. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas. We'll be right back. Thank you very much for listening to the first segment of this interview. We will continue with segment two with our special guest, in the Veritas Member section. Just go to our website, veritasradio.com, and click on the subscribe link to listen to the rest. We'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and we'll be right back with Segment 2 in the Member section. Enjoy! Gilliland, and you're listening to Veritas.